I got a lead. Now what? Episode 42. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Profit with Law. I am your host, Moshe Amsel. And today I wanted to uh, go to the post-lead point of interaction with a potential new client. Uh, We've talked a bit on this podcast about marketing. Marketing's job is to make your phone ring. Marketing's job is to drive leads to the practice. But what happens once that lead is generated? What happens once the phone rings and you now have somebody on the other end of the line that is looking to find a solution to their problem? What do you do to handle that call and how effective are you in that process? So to set the groundwork here, I wanted to share some statistics that I found that I think are really um, telling to what you might be experiencing on your end. Uh, So first of all, Law Technology Today shared the following statistic. 42% of the time, law firms take an average of three plus days to respond to a message from a new potential client. Now, I ask you to just put yourself in your client's shoes or potential client's shoes. Um, Would you retain an attorney that you're looking for services from if it takes them more than three days to respond to a message that you sent? I know I would not. Um, So if 42% of the time you're taking more than three days to respond, then most likely you are killing at least 42% of the new leads coming in. Um, Another thing from Martindale Nolo, 26% of law firms do not track their leads at all. This is really, really telling because if you're not tracking what's happening, you can't fix a problem. You can't, you can't identify that a problem exists. You could be getting a lot of leads and you constantly think that you have a marketing problem when really you have a sales problem. You have, you have a problem in handling the leads that are coming in. Uh, So this is also very interesting. Uh, Another law technology today statistic, 86% of the time, law firms fail to collect an email address and 45% of the time, law firms fail to collect a phone number on an initial call, which means that you're essentially hoping that the person is going to call back uh, or that they are going to answer the phone when when you call. So there's no way for you to communicate to them Um, if you don't have their email address and there's no way for you to communicate with them at all if you don't have their phone number or email address. So once again, another 45% of leads are being being squashed by just not getting a callback number. Um, Another one from Law Technology today, 35% of the time phone calls from prospective clients are not answered. And we're actually going to have Um, a guest on the show coming up in a couple of weeks, Maddie from Smith AI. And they're a legal reception 
service, and she um, goes into detail on this. But uh, what's interesting is is that clients of mine who are not open after hours are, have resisted um, getting the phone answered after hours. But what you're forgetting is is that sometimes people are working during the day when they're looking to solve their problems. It might be seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. And if your firm is closed, the phone isn't answered, likely they're not leaving a message. Likely they're calling a bunch of numbers until they get a live person answering the phone. So how many of those calls are you giving up um, a lead on? And then finally, um, according to HubSpot, the industry average close rate for the legal industry is 25%. Now, first of all, 25%, I guess... Um, it's technically a good close rate because the overall close rate, um, you know, across industries is 19%. But I can tell you that um, you can be far higher than 25%. It, I'm guessing that you probably don't know your numbers, but if you can just look at how many leads did you get and how many of them turned into clients, if your close rate is below 25%, then at least you know you're below industry average for the legal fir- legal industry. Now, if you're above, don't just pat yourself on the back just yet. Still stay tuned for this, the rest of this episode because I'm sure that we're going to share something that would be helpful to you. Um, now, I'm going to keep this episode um, on the shorter side. Uh, we can dive into some of these things even deeper in the future. But I think that it's important for the, the whole point of this episode to be that the primary reason I believe that law firms do a a pretty poor job of closing the sale when a lead comes in is because we make assumptions and we make assumptions about what our clients are feeling and what our clients are thinking or potential clients in this process. And because we make those assumptions, we don't put enough weight of importance on certain things. And I'm going to share some information from you that comes from the Clio 2018 um, trends report of small law firms and cl- and uh, uh, clients, potential clients seeking law firms. And what's interesting is that in that report, they have they have a a section where they questioned law firm owners and they questioned consumers. And they question them about different things that, are, that they feel are important to them. And what I found, these three things that I found are extremely interesting and telling in what's happening here in the sales process. So first, they found that um, a client's relief that they feel when retaining an attorney is more than three times the amount that the attorney perceived their relief to be. So in other words... When somebody goes and and contacts your firm, they have a problem that is gnawing at them to such a degree that when when they finally have an attorney in their corner, they're so relieved that that relief is huge to the point that the attorney assumed that oh, well, they, all they did is sign with us. In other words, you have the professional knowledge of knowing how simple and easy their case is or how not a big deal it is, but to them, it's a huge deal. And, um, and you, therefore, you're discounting how much anxiety you're removing by closing the sale with them. Uh, another interesting thing is their level of urgency, and this is not just in the sales process, but this is throughout the handling of a matter with them, their level of urgency is more than twice the level assumed or perceived by 
lawyers. So the client is always twice as urgent as you feel the issue is. So if you ever wondered why a client is, is hounding you on the phone for something minor, it's because of their perception of how urgent the matter is. It's not because of how urgent the matter really is. And, it's, and, and you have to remove yourself from the position of saying, oh, it's not urgent, to putting yourself in the client's shoes and, uh, and accepting their perception of urgency so that you can put them at ease. And this is so important in the sales process because if you assume that it's not urgent and therefore take your time getting back to them, when in the meantime, they feel it's very urgent, um, they're going to move on. And then finally, their frustration level, and this is a very telling thing, and this is probably more during the handling of their matter than in the sales process, but there's other statistics that show you that the sales process um, is definitely a place that can be improved. Their frustration level is more than five times the level perceived by lawyers. Why are clients getting frustrated? It could be for a number of things, but most likely it's because of the lack of importance that the attorney is putting on getting back to them. It's because of the lack of communication that they're, that they are perce perceiving and feeling on their end. Um, and this all translates back into the sales conversation. How quickly are you getting back to them? How quickly are you answering the phone? How quickly are you solving their problem? How quickly are you converting them from a lead to a client? When somebody reaches out to you, they have an, a specific need today, right now. That's when they have a problem. Not tomorrow, not next week. Their problem is current. It's, it's gnawing at them. They're anxious about it. They need a solution. They want to know if you are their solution. And if you fail to rise to the occasion at that moment and become their solution, you're going to lose them as a client. So the leads that come in have to be handled quickly, efficiently, professionally, and they have to feel the client, the potential client has to feel on their end that your firm is responsive, that your firm cares about them, that your firm has the solution to their problem. And if they can't feel that and perceive that on their end, you're not going to make the sale. And this is the solution. This is the reason that law firms historically struggle with closing these leads. And this is why there are so many firms out there saying, oh, that's a bad internet lead. That is, you know, web leads are, are not the way to go because referrals are the way to go. Yeah, if somebody comes to you referred by somebody else and they already know that you're the person to handle their problem, they might put up with waiting three days for a response. They might just assume that's the way you do business and you've now effectively trained them as a client to wait on edge for a long period of time to get the response that they need. But the reality is, is that those other leads are not poor leads. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're just price shopping and they could care less about what you could do for them and how well you could do it for them. But there are other ways to filter that than just ignoring them or punting the response down three or four days later to see if maybe they'll be sticking around waiting for me to get back to them. So what I did was um, I jotted down some key points that I think are, you know, if you, I'm going to give you a four-step process. And if you follow this four-step process, this should significantly improve and change the experience that you have as far as leads go. In other words, you should find a significant improvement in your close rate by implementing these four steps. Now, some of the steps are more detailed and, and we'll hopefully go into 
more detail on future podcast episodes. But step number one is to create a system. And when I'm when I say create a system, I mean literally a flowchart that maps out what happens from when the phone rings and the call gets answered. What information are we gathering from that person? What are we selling them? What you know, how are we handling that sale? Now, very often what we're doing is is we're saying, oh, an attorney needs to talk to them in order to figure out what their matter requires. And therefore, we cannot give them a, a proposal, a quote. We cannot you know, give them a price until we know what's involved in their matter. And this is where I am going to tell you that charging a consultation fee as your initial sale is critical. And I'm going to do a, a completely separate podcast episode on this, but I can tell you that even if, because I've heard somebody say even in contingency matters, you know, that with contingency matters, you can't charge a consultation fee. And I am going to call BS on that. Um, and I will tell you in a future episode why you could charge a consultation fee for that. But if you're not charging a consultation fee, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. First of all, you're demonstrating to your new client that your time is not worth anything because you're willing to give them a half hour, an hour of your time just to consult with them. Um, second of all, you are taking away a tremendous ability that you have right now in the sales process. By taking a fee for the consultation, you are creating a barrier to entry of becoming a client to be very low. Let's say your consultation fee is 300 bucks because you're going to spend 30 minutes with them and that's that and that's really give it, you know, that that's more than your hourly rate. And let, let's say you charge $300 for your consultation fee. The person on the other end of that decision now needs to decide whether they want to spend $300 to get the information that they need. Now you can turn around and say, if you retain us as a client, you know, if, if you become a client of ours, you retain us as your attorney, we will take that $300 consultation fee and credit it towards your first bill or towards your retainer when, when you retain us. Um, and there's other tactics that we can use. However, in sales in general, the hardest part of the sales process is to convert somebody from a prospect to a customer. Once they're a customer, they are more, uh, the percentage rises significantly of them purchasing from you over and over again. So it's a lot easier to sell somebody a $300 item and then ask them to write a $5,000 retainer check than to try to sell them that $5,000 retainer check as the first sale. So by by charging for, your, for a consultation, you're essentially paving the way for a cleaner, easier decision process for them to become a long-term client of yours and actually retain you for what they need. So it's really important to charge a consultation fee. And what that also does is it allows anybody to make the sale. You can have your receptionist make the sale because there's no legal advice being provided at that level and they're simply gathering information. So number one, you want to create a system. That system has to have a unified way to handle new leads. It has to have a unified way to make the initial sale. And you have to have an entry-level offer that has a set price and does not need knowledge of the matter to sell. As soon as you delay the sales process to a cons free consultation or a conversation with an attorney, a subject matter expert, even a paralegal, 
to get more information and to be able to effectively quote them the right thing for what they need, as soon as you do that, you have now elongated the sales process. And your goal should be to take them from lead to sale as quickly as possible. So number one, create a system. Number two, have the phone answered by a human being every time. This is critical. The person answering the phone needs to be pleasant, calm, and reassuring. The person needs to be knowledgeable enough to either route the call properly to somebody who can make the initial sale or handle the initial sale. And finally, remember that statistic about not collecting phone numbers and email addresses? The first thing the person answering the phone should be doing is getting the person's name, phone number, and email address. And I've had clients present resistance against, you know, to this particular point saying, why would somebody give me their name, phone number, and email address at the start of a call? They don't even know if they want to give their information to us. And the answer is, it is so common to, in any, I mean, you can call your cellular phone support number or, you know, anywhere. And the first thing they're going to do is they're going to say, in case we get disconnected, I want to make sure I can call you back. Can I just get your phone number? And, and in case we need to communicate with you, can I get your email address? And the name is, you know, I not, need to know who I'm talking to. So what's your name? Can I get your full name, first name, last name? This is not, you're making a bigger mountain out of something that's really simple. And until you actually put this into practice and then you, st you find that you're getting resistance with every call, then we can have a discussion about it. But the reality is, is that if you implement this, you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised to find that 98% of the times your phone is ringing, the person answering the phone is able to get this information from every single caller except for that 2%. So maybe one or two out of every hundred calls, they won't be willing to give that information, but at least you're collecting it on all the others. So the reason it's so critical to have the phone answered by a human being is once again, put yourself in the shoes of the person calling. Remember what we said that they are looking to be relieved of some major anxiety. They have a level of urgency, twice the level that you're assuming that they have. They are frustrated. Probably you're not the first law firm they're calling. They've probably called a whole bunch and they've probably not, not reached a live person on many of those calls. And when they did, they probably were punted to a sales process where they now need to wait for an attorney to call them back. And they, they're waiting for who knows how long. They could have just gone through and called 10 other law firms. If you're the one that answers the phone live with a pleasant person who's ready to sell them a consultation to solve their problem, where now they know, okay, I have this scheduled appointment with this attorney that I've paid for, so they're going to show up and nobody's going to push me off and I'm going to get the answer to my problem. You've got the sale. You have the sale. It's that simple. So number two, have the phone answered by a human being every time. Number three, have a clear system for follow-up. You have to have a clear system for following up with the potential client, with the lead. If they decide not to purchase the consultation at the time, then you need, to, you need to have a way that you're following up with them consistently and quickly. You want to follow up with them the next day, the day after. You don't want to wait. You don't want to give it three or four days. Oh, they need some time. They don't want us, you know, unless they specifically say, I don't want to talk to you again for another week, you follow up with them quickly and efficiently. And then finally, if they did purchase the consultation package, number four, 
have a clear system for handling the new client. Make sure that they experience an onboarding process that is stellar and makes them feel like they made the right decision. Because remember, you only sold them a consultation. You want to sell them a much higher priced item in the follow-up consultation. So they have to have the most amazing experience from that time until their consultation occurs. If you have reminders going out to them, you have information going out to them, by the time that they come to that consultation, they are educated and they have seen the, the level of responsiveness that your office can provide, then they are so much more likely to sign a retainer agreement before they walk out of that consultation. So it's extremely important to have a very clear system for handling the new client. So I kept this um, as short as I could uh, to give you just this four-step process. We're going to dive deeper on a separate episode about an onboarding process and as well about um, the uh, charging for a consultation. Um, And there's a few other things in here that we could dive into more deeply. I hope that this was helpful, but this is a problem that I see in the legal industry with my clients and and also other firms that I'm talking to. And I think that we can be doing a much better job of closing sales. And it's really much more simple than you imagine. This is not so difficult. All you got to do is basic. uh, Just put put yourself in their shoes. That's it. Put yourself in their shoes and really understand how they feel emotionally, and you can close these sales easily. I hope that this was helpful, and I will talk to you guys soon. Take care. Have you been enjoying the show? We sure hope so. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app. Next week, we will be back with more valuable resources and ideas on how to break the mold and take your law firm to the next level.